Um, this is the first week of our Christmas series, and we think it's going to be very special. Um, just to get into the spirit of things, I know that at this time of year, a lot of us do things that we wouldn't typically do in other parts of the year. So I'm asking for a little bit of honesty here. Um, who's been eating food that they wouldn't ordinarily eat as they wake up in the morning, such as mince pies? Come on. I think you're a bunch of liars. Thank you, Mel. Oh, I just broadcast that. Um, and who has already maybe told a little fib to their children um, and locked themselves in their bedroom and screamed, you can't come in here, knowing that they'll think there's rapping going on, but you're actually just having a quiet time? No? Yeah, okay, thank you, Ross. Um, and the other one that I, I know that happens at this time of year is um, who has applied some form of fear or manipulation around what Santa is bringing in order to get your children to behave less like savages? It's almost everyone. Yes, uh, there are perks to Christmas. Um, but yeah, I just know that this is, uh, it, it, we all know this is the silly season. And um, last week we had some craziness up here on stage with our little hunt for hope. Um, and I know that for the kids it was um, just very sweet for them to get up there without any kind of practice and have some fun. And we were already planning our next one for next year, which um, we've got one little guy called Paddy who has already said that he wants to be the lion in next year's nativity show. His practice is roaring for me. He's got a whole year to practice. I think by next year it's going to be dangerous. Um, and so we will have to do, because of Paddy, an African-themed nativity next year. So all ideas are very welcome. So um, this Christmas story is probably the most well-known story of all time, I would say, certainly within the West. Um, and I think we all know all the typical kind of aspects. We know that there was the census. We know about um, the no room in the inn. We know about the wise men and the shepherds and all of those things. But there are parts and elements of the Christmas story which are less known and um, some parts of it which are unseen. We know that... Um, the Israelites had been waiting for thousands of years for this promised savior, this Messiah, who was supposed to be the hope of the world. And so imagine if that's what it is. He arrives on the scene. He's here for 33 years. And um, only three of those 33 years are actually where he's involved in active ministry, only to have this unbelievable, like, horrific end to his life. And um, you can kind of find yourself going, you're thousands of years of waiting, and then he comes, and then he's gone. And yes, we know that what he did on the cross achieved our forgiveness, and we know that it, in the most staggering way, reconciles us to the Father, and that we get eternity. But isn't there more? Was, you know, just his life and then, and then gone. And yes, there is more for us on the other side. But what about here? <laughs> what about the here and now, right, until we get to that um, place with, with our Father eventually? Um, and so that then is the gift that we're really looking at today. It's the unseen gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story and before and beyond, because that is really and truly the greatest gift is the gift that he left with us. So Jesus said this just before he was crucified, John 16, 7, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, then the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So this is Jesus, the most undeniably incredible man who ever lived. He shaped more of history than any other man that I know of who's ever lived. And yet he says to his disciples that it is better that he go in order that he can send the Holy Spirit, the advocate. And so um, if Jesus says that that is better, we better believe it. And so we are going into today with the understanding that we'll, we'll unpack it over the next three, um, three um, messages, but 
It is the greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. Now, um, we know that in church world, you get people who kind of talk about Father, um, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you get some churches who go, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And um, it's a, for some, there's a massive emphasis in church. But what we do know is that for many of us, the role of the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is a bit more mysterious. It's very easy to identify with Father. We've all had fathers or seen or met a father if we didn't know our own. It's easy to apply to understand the son because he lived and walked and lived um, as many of us do. But the Holy Spirit is a little different. Um, and even I found myself a little bit stuck. You know, we talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, but when you're actually trying to name him, give a pronoun, we know that because he's part of the Trinity, he is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. And yet I go, then why do we say it or the Holy Spirit? And why do we just say Holy Spirit? Um, the reality is that the Holy Spirit is a spirit that leads us into holiness. It has an activity, an action. And therefore, it is okay to say the Holy Spirit because it is a spirit leading us into holiness. Um, so, yeah, there have been, when I, when I started actually researching this, there's just been these debates throughout the ages of, is the Holy Spirit actually male or female? Should we be saying he or she? And, but no, it turns out that the very best is probably to say it or the Holy Spirit. Um, but if it were a person, it's the Spirit of God who has been revealed to us as Jesus as Father. But that's, that's all um, an aside. What we're looking at today is this Holy Spirit who leads us into holiness. So, um, yeah, today we're just going to have a little look at his role in Christmas, but we have to understand that the Holy Spirit's role, the, his activity begins right at the beginning. So going to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. The darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, I'm going to just jump out for a minute because I think it would be really shocking to not applaud some of what's happened in the last week. So on Monday, there we all sat, I think from 4 to 6.30, waiting in anticipation for our light to come back on at 6.30. Was that everybody's reality? And then came the news that where we thought load shedding ended at 4, stage 4, there was a new thing uh, where it took us right up to stage eight. And we had apparently, just without warning, been put into lay, um, stage six. And it felt a little bit... Sorry? No, no, but there were stages that were broadcast that could take us right up to stage eight, and we had been put without warning into stage six. And this was... It started to feel a little like Armageddon, plus there was the rains and roads falling away and a three-bedroom pothole on, on Hugh Dent Drive, and all sorts going on. And, um, but what I loved about the, the South African spirit is that as soon as the lights were back on and our phones were charged, the most spectacular memes were coming out. And I had to share them, because this is just a part of, I think, what is the best of South Africa. So the first one that came out is this. It says, here's the truck taking the sun away, the ESCOM truck. And then the next one, stage 10 load shedding, is where ESCOM takes away your life, your wife, because she, you said that she's the light of your life. I just love that. And then stage 12 load shedding is where Derek Watts is arrested because his surname promotes electricity. <laughs> and then one that I saw on Twitter, which is why I jumped here from my verse, it says that stage 13 load shedding is where ESCOM scratches this line out of the Bible where God said, let there be light. 
um, you know, you just got to love the Mzansi spirit. So back to this. What we see in, in the creation story is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there. And we see in all the key points of, of amazing stories in the Bible that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are very present in what's happening. So in the creation story, it's the Father. It says God created the heavens. And in the Spirit, it says the Spirit was hovering over the waters. I just love the, the creativity that I hear in that, that this Holy Spirit was just hovering there and causing order and creativity. And then it says that God spoke. You speak words. And the spoken word of God is also a reference to Jesus. So in the New Testament, in John, we hear this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And so that is a reference to Jesus, being right there at the beginning as the spoken word of God that was speaking all of creation into being. So we see Trinity in the creation. We see the Trinity at work in the baptism. So listen to this. It says in Matthew 3.16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. So we see that the father speaks in the baptism the spirit descends like a dove, and we're going to get back to that about the dove in a moment. And Jesus receives. And straight after that, we know that Jesus was sent. In, um, so the end of Matthew 3, the very next verse in Matthew 4 says, then Jesus was led by the spirit. He's just been filled by the spirit and was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Not a great first assignment with the Holy Spirit but be that as it may. And then if we look in Luke, it says that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, but he left the Jordan and was led into the wilderness. So we see this activity of the Holy Spirit filling him and also leading him. There's this inner work, and then there's this awareness of the Spirit around us and a leading of the Spirit. So we're now just going to dive into the way that we can look at this season if we can see this crazy season where most of us right now even are spending so much time shopping, some of us are shopping for Christmas, some are shopping to stock up our houses for Airbnb, I think 90% of our church is going to be airbnb in the next few weeks, um, and, and at, at our homes there's this great big purging of, am I right, all of the stuff we've accumulated over the year is, is being sent out, and it's, it's this crazy cycle that we get ourselves into, we'll be having a great big cleanse and getting rid of so much, and yet at the same time filling our trolleys with stuff that will come back into our homes in January, and um, I find myself so deeply frustrated by this, and yet I will sign up for a lot of the same activity myself. And so we're going to dive into this today in the hopes that we can, as a people, start to realize that the most valuable gift is an unseen gift. It's not tangible. It's not material. We spend so much of our lives consumed with the material and the physical, and yet we'll see that the greatest gift is the unseen, the unseen gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're now going to Luke one twenty six. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in the town of Galilee to a virgin pledged to marry a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Remember, she was only 13 or 14. 
She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So right at the beginning of that text, it says that God the Father sends the angel to Mary. So Father is involved. We know that Jesus is about to get spectacularly involved because he's about to be conceived. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is the one who is the one, the same one who hovered over the waters, who's got this incredible creative spirit, is now going to come over Mary and cause the Son of God to come into humanity. And so then we see Mary say this. Remember that the Holy Spirit is a spirit who leads us into holiness. One of the ways that holiness is described is complete devotion. It's utter surrender. It's holiness just going, I just want what you want. I'm completely surrendered to your will, God. That is a picture of holiness. Um, where we put aside our, but this is just me, and this is what I want, and this is what I love, and we just go, I'm all yours. And so... Mary, who has not yet encountered the Holy Spirit, but has been told what the Holy Spirit is going to do, this unseen thing, already we see creates a shift in her life. And she says this in Luke 138, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So this unseen spirit has already changed her, has already caused her to be more holy, has led her into utter devotion and surrender, and servant-heartedness towards God. So today what we're just going to look at most around who the Holy Spirit is, is as companion. The companionship of the Holy Spirit. The fact that he's in us, but he's with us too. It's this strange thing of the Holy Spirit, the, the in us, the minute we believe, he comes to dwell inside of us, and yet we can be aware of him, he can come upon us, he can come into moments in spectacular ways where we see the miraculous break out. So let's look at him today as our companion. When we think of a companion, I want you right now to just think of a friend, any one of your friends. And just think of what they add to your life, how they rub off on you, how they influence you. Okay, I know that I have certain friends that I will call when I need a laugh. I have certain friends that I call when I need to unpack something that's bothering me. Uh, when Shell and I were going to immigrate, we had a pack of friends that we would go to to make us hate the country, to justify why we decided to go. So we'd go and find our grumbling, complaining friends, and um, they would rub off on us, and then we'd feel more vindicated that we should be going. Um, I've got my friend who I phone when I need some mischief, um, uh, and, and we, we have these people. I have, I have two or three friends that I phone when I really want to have deep, meaningful, spiritual conversations. Um, but we have these people that we call who rub off on us, our companions. And when we think of Holy Spirit as a companion, 
He has the ability to rub off on us. Okay, so we know that his character, um, his personality, the, the thing that Holy Spirit is, is found in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And what he rubs off on us is joy, love, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. I can't think of anything of that list that we wouldn't want rubbing off on us. What a spectacular companion to have those kind of things rub off on us when we're aware of his presence and aware of his proximity to us. Um, Bill Johnson shared a message that really impacted me deeply. He, he said, you know, we've, we've got the spirit inside of us. That is a given. If you have invited Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit is there. But there's also this ability that we have to become very aware of the Holy Spirit, to say, Holy Spirit, just accompany me into this room, into this, let me move into this place and, and change the atmosphere around me. Now, oh, this is very fortunate. He speaks about imagining that there's a dove on your shoulder. At the baptism of Jesus, we see that the Holy Spirit descends in a form like a dove. And so Bill says he would imagine Holy Spirit as a dove on his shoulder, and goes on to describe how that changes the way that he behaves. Now, if you've got, I've got very small shoulders, um, disproportionately small, so it might not work as well as I hope. But if you are aware of this spirit with you, um, this dove, but this spirit of God, you clearly don't want it to go away. And so the way that you live and act and breathe in the world is going to be different because you want that spirit to stay with you. Okay. Now, we can't separate ourselves from his love. I'm not saying that, but it's a mindfulness of his spirit. So if, if I see a door about to slam and I have a dove on my shoulder, I'm not going to scream like a banshee. I'm rather going to approach the door and try and stop it in time or say, hey, somebody the door. But you, you speak differently. If you're in your car and somebody cuts you off and you have a dove on your shoulder, a representation of the Holy Spirit there, you're not going to scream and rant and rave. You're probably going to wave smile. But to, I think it's such a beautiful picture of being so utterly aware of the spirit that we carry and the spirit that speaks of love and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. So imagine him with us all the time and how that could govern the way that we interact in the world around us. Now, another aspect of his companionship that I think is so incredible and something that I think that we have heard so wrong, sometimes been taught so wrong, and in so many ways believed wrong, is something I'm going to unpack here from John 16. So he's now going away. I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, then the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. I'm just going to say that again. When he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the root of this world has already been judged. There is so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future 
and he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Some people, and myself at certain times of my life, have actually found the notion of the Holy Spirit being a good companion something difficult to grapple with. Because I was certainly at some point taught that the Holy Spirit comes here to convict you and to make you feel guilty and to change your behavior. And, and that, yeah, he's coming to, to change you because you're actually not that kiff. And so to think of this Holy Spirit who's just coming to bring guilt and condemn is not the idea of a really great companion. But the Holy Spirit is not doing that. If we go back to that text, it says, the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world of sin. We are in the world, but if we have accepted Jesus, we are not of the world. He's talking about those who have not yet accepted Jesus. And his job is to point them to Jesus. He's to convict them of the fact that Jesus is the way to have all of their sin dealt with. The world's sin, it says in that text, is that it refuses to believe in me. The Holy Spirit comes to point us to belief in Jesus. None of us would want to hang out with a friend who convicts us of sin. But he doesn't. His work is to completely convince us of Jesus and his goodness and what he has done in our lives. He's pointing us to truth. That's what the companion does. He points us to truth. He also points us to righteousness. And he reminds us that the devil has already been judged and we're standing on the other side with victory. It's a very different picture to the Holy Spirit making us feel guilty all the time, isn't it? He's just trying to point us to truth and convince us to believe in Jesus. We hear the word advocate, and I know that in my early church years, I thought that I needed a lawyer, <laughs> that he was an advocate because I needed a lawyer. But actually, he wasn't pointing and accusing me. That's the work of the devil. The advocate is there fighting for us. He's there fighting for us to believe what God believes about us. John 14, 16 says, If you love me and keep my commands, I will ask my Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Again, he lives with you and is in you. You know, there were the disciples who were with him face to face for years. And um, we could think, oh, you know, they, they had the best deal. They had the sweetest deal. They were with Jesus for those three years. And yet, if we look at them, they were with him day in and day out. And still we get Peter, who, in fact, ends up being the rock on which the church is built, denying him. And we see Judas betraying him. And Jesus is actually saying that the Spirit is the one who will give truth a truth that even the disciples didn't fully get. They still didn't understand a lot of what Jesus says. So he goes to heaven and sends us a spirit of truth, which actually gives us an upgrade of what the disciples even had. It's an absolute staggering reality. The other thing that I think is so important to recognize, and, and I think if each of you is honest with yourself, you would, you would understand where I'm coming from with this. But in everything that's good, there is a shadow. You know, if you're, for example, somebody who includes people and just loves to bring everybody in, very often it's because at some point in your life there was rejection. Um, so very often our greatest strength is our greatest weakness. Now, in this whole faith journey, faith is the most important thing. And I would say that the shadow of faith 
is often doubt. Because faith is all about seeing and believing in something that is unseen. And so it's very understandable that doubt would be the thing that comes so often against faith. I think that um, very often I have, in my own faith journey, come to astounding places of doubt. And sadly, sometimes it's been because of Christians. <laughs> sometimes I've, I've watched a, a healing and I've gone, like, something just doesn't sit well in my soul. I feel like this is a bit of a, a lie or a manipulation. I have seen real healings. I, I really promise you I have. But I've seen people, sadly, um, you know, some things that haven't looked like healing to me. I've seen some people operating in what is the Spirit because there's power, but with an absence of love. I've seen people using God to manipulate. And in those moments, and I think all of us have probably, if we're honest, come across that, it's very easy to doubt. And, you know, whatever your reason for doubt, whether it's a loss of a loved one or a, a medical condition or any myriad of things that can cause us to struggle in our faith, the one thing that has pulled me back every single time and not allowed me to stay in that place of doubt is the work of the Holy Spirit. Because in that moment where um, I gave my life to God and, and was full of the Holy Spirit, there was a download of love that could not be anything but God. You cannot deny that moment where you have an experience of the Holy Spirit. Um, where in that moment, the download of love actually caused me to see the rest of the world differently for the rest of my life. I felt like I went into this room one way and came out utterly changed. And that was a download of the Holy Spirit. There have been so many times where I've seen Holy Spirit speak through somebody, through a word or a vision or a dream that has changed somebody else's life. It has ripped out a root of grief or changed somebody's destiny. And when you go back to those moments of Holy Spirit working, those moves of the Spirit Doubt doesn't stand a chance. And so if there's anyone here today who has not had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you a moment at the end to have that or to come up afterwards for prayer. But when it comes to faith, the Holy Spirit is the one who will keep us so rooted in our faith. He is that unseen, invisible gift that we see, even though we can't see him, we see the effects of him. We see what he does to change people's lives. We see stories completely and utterly changed because of the Holy Spirit. And, and so that is his role, to keep us strong in faith and to keep us focused and moving towards Jesus and fighting for truth. All of us are going to leave today and get caught back into the swing of packing and shopping and planning and some of us dreading um, maybe there's certain people around our table who aren't easy to be around. But there's a huge host of things that come, of us, come at us at this time of year. And we can just kind of ride it out or we can reposition ourselves to go back to where this Christmas story started with this Holy Spirit coming on a young virgin and bringing about our Savior and our Savior leaving us with the greatest gift ever known to man, the Holy Spirit. We may not see him, but he is continuous and he is there moment to moment, day by day. He is the unseen gift and the greatest gift. And so if you don't mind, I'd like you all to stand to your feet and we're just going to have a moment where we allow ourselves 
to just invite in that greatest gift again and have a very different Christmas season. Father, we just thank you for the incredible gift of your spirit. We thank you that Jesus said that it was better that he go so that he could send the Holy Spirit to us. We thank you that he is the best companion, that his role in our lives as our companion is to point us to truth, to help us to understand your ways and your character. Heavenly Father, at this time of year where there is so much competing for our attention, so much of it so consumeristic and so physical and so ultimately empty, God, would you please just fill us with your spirit? Would you set our attention on the things that really matter, on the people sitting around our tables? Would you give us your eyes for those that are struggling, even though they're trying not to show it? Would you help each of us to completely lean into your Holy Spirit to show us the things the way you see them, Lord? May we walk gently as if we have a dove on our shoulder. May we be completely blown away with the reality that you come into, uh, into situations with us to change them, Lord. Father, tomorrow we recognize that it is Reconciliation Day, God, and you did a mighty work to reconcile us to you. Father, help us to understand that we have a spirit in us, that we can carry with us a spirit into any situation that needs your reconciliation. God, whether it be between family members where there's brokenness, between racial divides, between rich and poor divides. Father, may we understand that we carry a spirit of reconciliation tomorrow and every day. Today, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Father, that you would allow us and help us to use and to completely access and walk with your spirit as our very best companion. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.